Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for lovers and dreamers and me. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time listening, extra special thanks for listening. And if you want to find old episodes, you can on iTunes. You're also on SoundCloud. Just uh, go to soundcloud.com slash there it is pod. And you can go to thereitispod.com and find the old episodes and old blogs that we've posted. And this episode is a fun one. I'm so glad that you're listening to it because it's with improviser and comedian Abby Russell. She is someone who works at giantbomb.com, which is a video game site. We talk a lot about that. But she also performs on a house team at the Magnet Theater here in New York City, and she's really great. She's wonderful. I love her. She's super funny, and uh, we talk about improv, and we talk about comedy in general. It's a really fun chat, so check it out right now. Let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Abby Russell. Are you from Massachusetts? Aren't you from Massachusetts? Um, I lived in Massachusetts for a little while. I lived in Cambridge, which is just outside of Boston. I was there from when I was... Uh, I guess 14 or 15 until I was in my early 20s. I left for a little while to go to school at American University, but I dropped out after a semester and came back. So I was there for a little while. Yeah. Okay, cool. And you are a producer at GiantBomb.com, but you're also an improviser at Magnet and you perform weekly. I am. So both are big deal things. What do you (laughs) consider yourself? Do you consider yourself an improviser or a producer? Or like Um, a producer who does improv, like a... How, I guess I would you, consider myself a comedian and, um, I guess, filmmaker, but producer. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's sort of what I consider myself. Although with Giant Bomb, sort of being a producer kind of goes hand in hand with being a comedian just because I do mm-hmm. a good amount of on-camera stuff. But mm-hmm. I would say I, I consider myself um, a producer or an editor and a uh, comedian. Excellent. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... What what was your childhood like in that? Were you getting involved in live performances or doing mm-hmm. home videos that were a little bit more elaborate than the average kid's home videos? Like what what was your childhood like? Mm, I definitely we definitely did a lot of home videos, just goofing mm-hmm. around me and my sister. But as far as performing goes, I did dance for a number of years. I danced oh, okay. from when I was uh, I think eight or nine until about fourteen or fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like pretty regular performances. I'm used to being on stage in front of people. Um, But as far as comedy stuff, I think my first real instance of it was at like a skit night at camp. I Mm -hmm. did just like the stupid, it was basically like a character sketch show. uh, If it was going to, I was going to compare it to something today. It was just like the stupid little skit night. And I did this one character that was really dumb, but got a lot of laughs. And I think Uh I I was kind of hooked on that. (laughs) Um, But it was one of those things where... uh, I don't know, whenever my folks and I would travel, like my mom especially, we would go to just like touristy improv shows. And oh. I always thought it was super fun. So something I wanted to do. Um, and then when I moved back to Boston after being at American, I was sort of had 
uh, a bit of a quarter life crisis and was like, I'm going to sign up for improv. And like, I literally signed up for a class the night before it started. And then the rest kind of snowballed, yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 Where was that class? Uh, that was at Improv Boston. That was okay. with Emily Holland was the teacher. I know Emily. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think she's in L.A. now. Oh, no, she's not. She, in, moved she, to North, just, she yes. was in L.A. She was in L.A. Yeah. She moved to North Carolina, and she is great. She's great on stage. Yeah. She's great off stage. Yeah, uh, she's very funny. Yeah. And so you start doing stuff there, and um, eventually you migrate to New York. But mm -hmm. uh, was there any time in between where you were doing... Like, how much improv were you doing when you were in Boston and then uh, as you made your way to New York? Were you um, I was doing a pretty good amount. I was, so I was doing, I was taking all my classes in Boston and most improv theaters, as you know, you have to take usually four to six classes before you can audition or anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I was going through the class program and right as I finished my last class was when I moved to New York. Um, but I was definitely very gung-ho with how I was doing improv, I was going to shows a lot. And I was also very proactive because I was also sort of doing it to be social. So I was very proactive about um, getting people to sign up, like the people who I'm in a class with to continue to stay in the next classes as we go up the levels together. Uh, so we sort of became a bit of a team just through doing months and months of improv together, which was pretty fun. But we would do a ton of indie stuff outside of it. So I was performing semi-regularly, but yeah, I wasn't on a house awesome. team or anything. Yeah, it was fun, it was good. It was a good way to get my feet wet with it. Yeah. And what spurred the choice to move to New York? Um, I moved for school. Because mm -hmm. I, I originally went to American University. Um, and I had... So after high school, I... Like pretty like the month after I graduated high school, I moved out of my folks' house and just stayed in an apartment. And I deferred for a semester. So I spent about six months living on my own in my own apartment and just working full time. And I really loved that. So then I went to American University where I was in a dorm and I really didn't like DC. I really didn't like American. And I really wasn't proactive about meeting new people, especially coming in halfway through the year. Mm -hmm. So I think I really felt like I regressed and it was incredibly expensive. So my family couldn't really afford it. So I dropped out and went back to Boston mm -hmm. um, to basically live with my old roommates and just go to community college until I could transfer again. Mm -hmm. And then at that point I was sort of figuring out exactly what I wanted to do with myself. Uh, when I first went to school, I was considering going for aerospace engineering oh, or wow. maybe sound engineering. So it was sort of like, I don't know which one I want to do, but I wound up sort of falling more into sound engineering at American. And then I took a film class that I loved and I was like, well, I should go into filmmaking. I did a ton of editing in high school. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I want to be an editor. So I figured I either have to be in New York or LA to work in film. So I came to New York and that's sort of it. I transferred for school. Okay. Yeah. And um, how soon in your being in New York did you start doing stuff at uh, or doing improv? Right. Um, well, I tried to pretty much right away. I remember my first week or so, the Magnet offers free intro to improv classes. Uh -huh. And I saw that there was one with Rick Andrews. And I hadn't met Rick yet, but I knew that he had also started at Improv Boston. I was like, oh, okay, okay, cool. I'll take this class with Rick and I'll try to get, because I was house managing at Improv Boston as well. So I was like, I'll try to get a job house managing at the Magnet. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I'll have enough money to take class at the Magnet and UCB and all that stuff. Um, so I I, uh, I took his class and was like, hey, like, I want to work. Is there a job? He's like, probably not, but you could intern. So I applied to be an intern and I didn't hear back for like another six months. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't do improv of any kind in that period. Mm -hmm. um, and then six months in, I started interning and then right away I was like, hey, I have house managing experience. If you're hiring a month later, they were hiring. So I became a house manager and then I was there pretty much all the time after that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot has already happened in your story by this point. And you're uh-huh. like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry. Big, a uh, lot of overload in these questions. Oh, no. Don't be apologetic <laughs> at all. Because I, I think that's really interesting that, like, we all pack in a lot of life uh, yeah. in, a, in a short amount of time. And, you know, the farther you maybe get away from things, it, the easier it can see, like, I didn't do anything. But right. you really did so much. And you learned yeah. so much. Yeah, and it was also a very transitional period for me these last few years, just Mm -hmm. with being in school and transferring twice. And I, you know, finally now that I got this job and kind of am more settled in, like Mm -hmm. it's still definitely a transitional period in some respects, but it feels like the start of like um, maybe something a little more steady versus kind of school and sort of being like, well, what's my life going to be, you know? Right. Yeah. We'll uh, fast forward a little bit here. Of course, you you were at Magnet. Did you study anywhere mm-hmm. else? Um, yeah, I've taken classes at uh, the UCB Theater. So I finished mm-hmm. their program uh, okay. a couple months ago, uh, and I would like to audition eventually, but it's mm-hmm. not a huge priority right now. And I right. also think I don't think I think the auditions aren't for another few months anyway. And you're also on a house team at Magnet. I am. I'm on the house team Youths, which is very yeah. fun. Yeah, a fun team. And so, I mean, what, what's the drive to also be on a team in, at another theater? Um, well, I really love the magnet and Mm -hmm. honestly, since I got this job, I don't feel as much drive as I used to just because Mm -hmm. before it was like, you know, I, my eggs are a little spread out versus just in one basket. And I also sort Mm -hmm. of get that improv itch scratched with this job in a lot of ways, just with being on camera and just kind of you know, I feel like I do a lot of comedy here. So I feel very satisfied in that. Um, But I would say, you know, I always, I don't ever want to be complacent or satisfied. Mm. You know, I always want to be pushing myself to do more or to do different or to kind of just challenge myself. Basically. I don't want to be stuck being like, yeah, this is good enough. Cause I don't think that it helps anything, you know, that's really great. That's a really good point of view. I think even with me, I think uh, I could I I could see myself if I were to be able to get on a house team. Mm-hmm. I I could easily see myself saying, "Well, I'm on a house team. I'm, right. You know, I don't have to be in any rat race or anything. <laughs> like, this right. Is great. You know. So I, but I can see the need to say like I should push myself. I should. Right. I should put myself in other areas just so i can stretch in a different way yeah totally and i also will say once you get on a house team because i definitely have that goal of like my goal my next goal right now is just get on a house team and i did that my first house team at the magnet was barbara and i got on barbara and it was great but then you just discover you have new goals you know and i think that it changes with you and i also think sort of the kind of veil is lifted once you're on a house team and you're like, okay, this isn't that much different than what I was doing before. You know, (laughs) like I think people put a lot of weight in improv house teams for like good reason. I think it's something that's awesome to achieve. It's super fun to do. Mm -hmm. I love doing it, but it's also, you know, I am no different than someone who's not on a house team. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not that big of a difference. I think, um, everyone it's kind of, and this is a total, tangent but (laughs) i think what people used to experience kind of 20 years ago or 15 years ago if they got on a big tv show Mm -hmm. so like a real big thing 
people had that sort of experience. And now I think in this age of more access, whether it's online, we all are like many celebrities online right. now, you know, like we, whenever a tragedy happens, we always craft a statement, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of like, we right. really, who am I? Yeah. Why am I crafting yeah, totally. a statement? Um, and then also that, that kind of happens in different ways now because there's, uh, because there's so much access to improv and comedy mm-hmm. that um, there's all these DIY rooms and things, open mics and things. And people can kind of get big for their britches or too big for their britches. And they can say like, well, uh, I've I, once I'm on that thing and I've made it. I'm a big yeah, deal. Totally. And then they get there and it's like, oh, OK, this really isn't. There's still more to do. Yeah, this totally. Really isn't what I thought it was, and and so yeah. I, I just kind of feel like that's a thing that goes on. Like, there's more access to things, so there's like more wider ver- kinds of people, and uh, people from different backgrounds are experiencing experiencing these weird things, like uh, the the cost of fame. <laughs> yeah, totally. For lack of and I think term. it's also all about perspective. You know, like. Mm-hmm. If I'm on a house team at the Magnet, people might know who I am that I maybe haven't met just because there are students in classes and they're seeing shows or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like then I leave the Magnet and I don't have that clout anymore. And like it doesn't really matter. Even with this yeah. job, it's like there's sort of a niche video game audience who kind of maybe knows who I am. But for the most part, I'm still pretty anonymous. Like it's mm-hmm. nothing is that different, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean... If you're the host of The Tonight Show or on right. SNL or Daily Show, well, really, mostly SNL, <laughs> I guess, right. uh, people definitely know who you are because SNL yeah. just had a huge season. But then, right. you know, honestly, there's still people who have no idea. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's really yeah. just a handful of people who have that high of a Q rating. Whereas, right. you know, it, everybody else, they're just big in their bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then their bubble gets burst and they don't know what to do with themselves. Uh, right. <laughs> so, like, really the thing is, what are we chasing here? And so it's pointless to chase fame or feeling like you're special. You should really chase just getting better at a thing that, yeah, you, totally. that you love and, and acting out a passion. And be, yeah. like doing stuff that inspires you, like that's that's enough. You don't have to, yeah. Be famous. And I also think like just enjoying your time is enough too. Like as going back to sort of the house teams, like the improv house teams. I'll see people get cast on these teams, and then they put so much weight and so much stock into it that they're not enjoying it. And it's like, oh, well, yeah. then who cares? <laughs> like that's <laughs> stupid. I'd rather be on a fun indie team than like a garbage house team where everyone hates each other. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's very true. And especially when, uh, and I know in some scenes this happens where people are uh, really cutthroat and and jumping on other people so they can climb this totem pole that leads to nothing. Yeah, totally. In the grand scheme of things, they have hurt people and ruined their reputation (laughs) for nothing. Yeah. (laughs) So they can perform... Uh, they could perform for free in a basement somewhere. Right. You know, it's just kind of like, come on, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, people are weird. Uh, so, 
you are also doing this uh, thing that we've sort of talked about, giantbomb.com. Mm-hmm. You're, you're producing there, and you're doing mm-hmm. a lot of stuff there. You can explain better to the audience what you all do there than I can. So will you please? Cool. Yeah. So I am an associate producer for Giant Bomb, and we are a video game journalism website. And journalism is very uh, a loose term for us. Uh, <laughs> it's very much like a personality-driven website, so we do a lot of, like, us on camera while playing games or playing games and maybe in a fun and a silly way. Um, and it's all subscription based. So most of our content is behind a paywall with a few things here and there that aren't. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, we're, we're primarily a, it's a smaller company. I mean, we're owned by CBS interactive, but as far as the number of people who work and are front facing, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a smaller group, but yeah, we, uh, you know, it's a personality based website about video games basically. Awesome. Uh, how long has Giant Bomb been around? Oh, boy. I think almost 10 years. That's my understanding. I mean, I've only been here for four four months now. I think I started in May, mm-hmm. so around mm-hmm. four months. Um, but I think they've been around for around 10 years. I was talking to Vinny, who's my boss, and I think he was mentioning that the 10-year anniversary is coming up soon. Oh, exciting. Yeah, it should be fun. That's another thing. It's like four video games. They used to, like 15 years ago, there used to be one place for it. And then that network right. was shut down. And now there are all these different places you can go and get get your fix on video game stuff. And, you know, yeah, totally. Giant Bomb is a network, essentially. It's one, right. It's one uh, thing. And it's it's really made a, a lot of headway in uh, putting stuff out there. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you'll see people who like there's so many just youtubers who have you know game accounts or like even with mm-hmm. something like twitch or every playstation 4 you buy you can automatically stream your gameplay out to twitch like it's a very accessible thing to do to sort of have your own personality based video game content basically that's super fun so yeah for for the layman uh can you explain mm-hmm. a little what uh what maybe someone would see if they get behind that paywall uh yeah sure so i mean it's a lot of like usually we have a lot of long form stuff so it's a Mm -hmm. couple hours long um a lot of it's unedited we do a lot of live streams Mm -hmm. so right now we have a feature going on uh called steal my sunshine Mm -hmm. where we play super mario sunshine and every time you get a shine which is sort of like the star the goal of the level so every time you get a shine Uh, you pass the controller or every time you die, you pass the controller. And the goal is to get the most shines. And right now we're using gumballs to kind of symbolize our shines. Uh Uh, And it's whoever has the most at the end will win. But so that's one feature we're doing. And another one we're doing is called uh, the Exquisite Core, sort of a plan words of Exquisite Corpse, where one person is playing uh, XCOM. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the other person doesn't see the person before play, but they have the same save. Uh, and then they go and play it too. So it's not always like passing the controller like that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just we'll play straight games. Uh-huh. Um, but that's th- those are a couple of features that we have. But it's a I, lot of like, we're going to play a game and then we're going to talk over it <laughs> to really yeah. distill I, it, I guess. You know, that's becoming, and it, well, it's Giant Bomb's been around 10 years. So it's, mm-hmm. it's probably seen an uptick in who is interested in this. But I feel like that is a thing that is has grown over time of people being interested in watching people play video games and it's still not entirely a common thing also right like it's still what i mean is 
I've watched a couple of walkthrough videos online mm -hmm. just to sort of get a sense for a video. Really what it was was before I could afford a PlayStation 3, but mm -hmm. the Batman game was out. Right. I was like, well, I want to see what that game's like. And then I just got engrossed in some online YouTube video of, of it. A walk. Right. And uh, yeah. my girlfriend has pointed out like to other people, like, yeah, Jason's watched videos on you, like <laughs> people playing video games on YouTube. Like, that's a crazy person. Thing, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, so a ton of people do it like I do. And I did it before I got this job. Like, I think there's something really captivating about seeing someone play a game. And I know yeah. for me personally, I really love um, YouTubers or just general people who, you know, stream their game content. I like it when they're playing a way that I wouldn't play it. Uh, there's this there's this streamer I really like called Many a True Nerd. He has a YouTube channel, but mm -hmm. he... Like he played the entirety of Fallout New Vegas uh, mm -hmm. without killing anyone. And he played it like without ever healing. And this is like these weird challenges that I don't ever have the patience to do, but it's captivating <laughs> to watch someone else do it. Yeah. And I, there are a couple things about it that I think it sounds like you all have tapped into really well. What I've noticed that it's something that's going to continue to build and become more of a normal thing. Like right now, it seems like the average person would be like, huh, that's a thing? <laughs> Watching people play video games. But right. I, I remember in college when some more long-form games started coming out, like I was playing Shinmu back in the day, for anyone mm -hmm. who is old like me. Um, <laughs> I was playing that, and there were fr some friends on the hall. They didn't want me to pass the controller. They just wanted to sit right. and watch and a couple of people were like i hate playing video games but this is like watching a movie and i want yeah watch totally movie. yeah and, and then the other aspect that the thing that you all are really tapping into is kind of goes back to that experience i was just talking about it's like this fun hangout yeah absolutely and i think you know i think because it's such a personality based thing i think yeah. people definitely feel like they're hanging out with their friends when they watch a stream which is awesome mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's not really that different than sitting and watching How I Met Your Mother marathons right. on WGN or something. You know, like, yeah, you still just feel like, oh, here's something that feels familiar. I'm going to sit back and drink a beer, you know, like. Yeah, totally. And I even think there's like, even though that people are watching us play, I think there is still somewhat of a, an interactive component to it. Just for like live streams, we'll have the chat open so people can be talking in the chat and there's already sort of a community of people on the site who kind of mm -hmm. have each other as well. And, you know, we'll pop in here and there and like chat back. But I do think that there is, you know, an aspect to it that's also very much like it feels inclusive to mm -hmm. someone who's watching it versus yeah. something like a scripted show, which feels very separate from you. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's like a, it is a little more interactive and it's, it's still like that sort of I'm here to relax, but there's also this added, oh, I can say something to them and they'll respond while yeah. this is happening. Yeah, totally. That sounds super fun. Yeah, it is. I feel very fortunate to be working here. It's definitely, it's it's a lot of fun. And I work with a lot of really great people, which is always yeah. a big plus. I, I am not a gamer. I like mm -hmm. video games. Uh -huh. um, but I, I just, for whatever reason, as I got older, uh, I'll go months without... Did I say that right? I feel like I have cotton mouth. Uh, <laughs> but I'll go months without playing a game. Games have advanced so much. There are a lot of things that I just don't do. I don't I do not do online. I don't do... Oh, really? 
Yeah, and that's some of your bread and butter. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but my life is online. Right, right. The online stuff has gotten really, I think, exciting for people because it's expanded so much. Yeah, totally. And you have so many different types of online games, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, but yeah, there's definitely yeah, online games are great (laughs) and it it even is great for someone who like you who said like oh before you didn't have people who would want to play games with you but if you could hook your system up to the internet you would have a world of people who'd want to play games with you like i know so many people who have made games solely or excuse me have made friends solely through games uh which is pretty rad yeah yeah and like before i only knew of world of warcraft like 12 years Mm -hmm. ago that's all i knew that was my concept of playing online was world of warcraft and then like I, I played Red Dead Revolver after everyone else did mm. and the Batman games after everyone else did and Grand Theft Auto maybe even a little bit after everyone else did. So when I got around to just saying, well, let's see what the online right. aspect of this is like, uh, there is hardly anybody out there. And I, right. I was kind of like, well, do I really want to spend the time playing this? <laughs> right. There's, there's no one here to play. And they had already figured out all the cheats. and, and mm. Like have leveled up so much. Well, I don't know what it was. Like, I was walking around in Red Dead, and, like, I heard some kids talking, and but you couldn't see them. You, like, you turn around, you can't mm-hmm. see them anywhere. And then they were, I don't know what they were doing. They were just, like, running around. It's like, all right, well, we're, this feels like the actual Old West. <laughs> because yeah. there's no one around <laughs> for miles right. and miles. And I'm just, yeah. uh, this is going to be a long night. So I just turned it off. But, um, yeah. How are you seeing your improv expertise or skills mm-hmm. being used in the giant bomb world? Um, well, I mean, I think, you know, especially when I first got started, mm-hmm. uh, I think improv really helps me to just be able to hold a conversation, you know, because when I was first doing it, it is a personality based thing. I was on camera. I was doing podcasts where I was literally just talking to my coworkers, you know, I was getting to know them and, you know, it's a new job. A lot of you know, they're all, all the awkward moments of any new job, but it's, it's always a little different and a little scarier when it's in front of an audience. Um, so I think improv just sort of helped me be conversational and be mm-hmm. comfortable with that. Um, I also think improv helps me all the time just in my comedic timing and in sort of knowing when to make a joke and when to just kind of listen and see what other people are talking about or where the conversation's flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I also think, Doing a lot of improv helped me in the beginning when I was nervous to know that I didn't need to try to be funny. I didn't need to try to talk when I had nothing to say. I could just be content and be comfortable and know that eventually my time will come. And like if I'm comfortable and if I'm being honest and like responding normally, (laughs) then it'll be captivating and that's enough. Like I think in improv, you know, I see a lot of newer improvisers kind of feel like they need to constantly be talking or -hmm. constantly be making jokes. And if they aren't getting laughs, they panic. Uh, But I think because I've done improv so long, I'm comfortable in those silences on stage and I'm comfortable when it's not necessarily funny right away. So I think that that aspect also was a big help when I first started here, just in the sense of like, well, I'm comfortable to sort of let it be what it is and it will be funny. I just need to trust that it will be like Mm -hmm. just me being myself is enough, you know? Yeah. I think that is such a huge thing for people to learn. And that is something that I've been taught having Mm -hmm. been at 
magnet myself for a little bit. And I remember even a workshop that I took with Jill Bernard. She was saying you are like, like kind of the point of the workshop was to say you are enough. Um, yeah, totally. And that is something like the people who are the best as uh, stage performers, they are super comfortable with themselves and they are super comfortable with moments that mortify other people. Right. And, um, and there is this sort of presence that they have because of it. And they know how to like manage the situation. And there is that thing of just trusting like this can work. The only way it can work though, is if I'm calm <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and myself and present in the moment. Yeah, totally. And if you're not present in the moment being who you are, or at least being who you know you're supposed to be if you're doing an improv scene, then you're going to have a harder time. So just get present and kind of get out of your head and just sort of experience the moment and you, you'll open up more. Very yeah, totally. Easy to say, very hard to do. <laughs> yeah, to yeah, totally. But I do also think, you know, uh, as far as your stage presence coming before, I think having confidence on stage is like 75% of being good at improv. I think it was Jason Manzukis. I heard a quote from him being like, you tell the audience what's funny. And I think that's so true is like, if you say something and you have the confidence behind it, the audience is going to be like, okay, sure. I like that. You know, like not to condescend the audience. They're usually very smart and will definitely let you know when something's not funny. Oh yeah. But, uh, I do think just hack. Yeah. You can't yeah, say, yeah. no, but this is funny. Right. That's but like, I think a if lot you of have, can learn. The, yeah, the, like, totally. You are telling them what, that it, this is funny, but through confidence, not through, after a joke bomb saying like, oh, right. I don't know why y'all didn't like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I think just having the confidence and that totally relates to sort of my job here is like having confidence on streams to know like, okay, this is fun and captivating. And like, I'm not constantly being like, does chat like it? You know, I think that that totally helps. <laughs> uh, so I did see a video, a clip <laughs> And I watched it a couple of times because mm -hmm. it just cracked me up. It's a recent <laughs> clip that you posted on Twitter or somebody posted on Twitter and tagged you. And uh, you were parachuting in. Oh, right. And it was your it was your shot. It wasn't anyone else's uh, shot. Mm -hmm. But you could hear them because they, they were a little ahead of you. And they started getting shot up by some guy on top of a building and you were <laughs> land you landed right by that guy who was shooting right. your your teammates and then you go to run and get them <laughs> and you just fly off the building <laughs> like you just jump off yeah the building. well i tried to i tried to jump and punch him but i i i overshot the landing a little bit and uh you know what it's okay that's right yeah that was a clip from um uh a feature we have called uh murder island where we play player knowns battleground so we're all mm -hmm. playing this game together and it's sort of like a battle royale thing where we all want to be the last person standing basically mm -hmm. um <laughs> anyway i died shortly after <laughs> that was so funny <laughs> <laughs> where can people see some of the content that's not behind the paywall is that all on giantbomb.com or do you have a, a youtube page as well yeah, we uh, we link to both uh, just the Giant Bomb website as well as the YouTube page. Um, so I recommend checking out the website. You'll see all of our stuff. But we do have a YouTube page. All that stuff is free. Definitely check it out. Primarily our free content are Quick Looks, which is sort of like our version of game reviews, mm -hmm. uh, at least video game reviews, where we will do, uh, we'll just play 
a game for, you know, usually like a half hour to an hour and just kind of talk about it. And usually one person is playing it and kind of has played it before is familiar with it. And everyone else is kind of asking questions and sort of experiencing the game for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a nice way to sort of, um, get a feel for what the game is like without doing like a written review. Like, I think it's, it does a really good job of being like, Oh, what's, you know, is this a game for me? I'll watch someone play for a little while and be like, "Mm, maybe not. Or maybe Mm -hmm. so. That's very cool. Yeah. That's a good idea. I was also uh, mentioning Twitter a minute ago. So I was wondering with your Twitter, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of followers. You're really (laughs) funny on there. Thank Uh, you. (laughs) Do you have a certain approach when it comes to just writing these hilarious tweets or are you just kind of jotting down quick ideas and then just taking the ones that you Um, think are the funniest and putting them out there? I think it's a mix of stuff. A lot of it is usually like I will have a real life experience Mm -hmm. and then I will find a funny spin on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Or usually it's like, I'll just have a funny thought uh, (laughs) sometimes and then I'll like maybe cater it a little bit better. So it reads better and reads more as a joke. But usually it's like I experienced something or I observed something that seems a little bit unusual Mm -hmm. and I just try to find a way to contextualize it. Uh, and make it into a tweet. But yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, I really like Twitter a lot because it, it's made me a much better joke writer. Yeah. Uh, I like that Twitter forces you to basically have like two, no more than two sentences. And I yeah. think that's, those are the best kind of jokes where it's just like, I'm just going to really punch you with this great joke. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. you have it. Yeah. That's true. I still wish uh, 140 characters just seem so arbitrary. I know that they <laughs> picked that because when right. Twitter started, you had to text in your tweets and mm. most phones only allowed 140 characters. So I get that. But it's 2017, right? <laughs> like, can you give us... No, 140 characters is perfect. No way. <laughs> I'm always I like, 15 I like, off and have to, like, make yeah. some sort of grammatical <laughs> errors to make it work. Right. It's, it's not, like, too wordy of a thought. It's just... <laughs> seven to 15 characters too long right <laughs> and i i don't know i love twitter i like <laughs> i like that it makes me uh like proofread and really be oh, critical right, yeah. of my jokes so it's like mm-hmm. okay this joke's too long or it's too wordy like <laughs> let me really just distill it down to exactly what i want to say that's i've heard conan o'brien say the same thing about twitter and that's something i like about twitter as well i'm just not great at writing <laughs> jokes like that i don't you know right everyone's writing jokes on Twitter. It's a lot of stuff that if you're talking about topical things that mm-hmm. you're going to be one in a million saying something if you're being topical, but right. Um, I still want to be able to master the two sentence structure of a, of a joke, you know, like get something right. that's short and sharp and a good thought. And anyone who reads it can say like, Oh, okay, that's good. And or laugh. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the key to Twitter is just to do it every day. Like I Mm -hmm. try to tweet at least once every day and sometimes it's super easy. Sometimes I'll have a lot in the backlog or I'm just like doing a lot. So it's, I have more material to work with and other days Mm -hmm. it's sort of, I really have to force it, which is like a really stupid thing to say about Twitter (laughs) that I'm like really working hard to like tweet something out. But I do think that's sort of a good rule for any kind of art form is just mm-hmm. do it regularly and mm-hmm. force yourself to do it even when you don't feel inspired because that's that's how you're going to get better and that's the only way to keep doing it and you know if you like force yourself to do it it's going to make it so much easier to then 
uh, find moments where you're like, oh, that's a good tweet or that's a good mm-hmm. joke mm-hmm. or whatever, you know? True. I mm-hmm. will also say that uh, I've noticed <laughs> something you do on Instagram and your mm-hmm. Instagram story. Uh, you'll be showing whatever and you're in the shot and then you always zoom in on your eye. Slow, yes. You do a slow right. zoom in on a one eyeball. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the story behind that? Uh, it's hilarious. I've always liked it. I just wonder what what made you come up with it. Um, I think I started doing that the first time I was I was very against Instagram stories. I don't like that everything's sort of becoming Snapchat. I feel like Facebook mm-hmm. is doing the same thing, and I'm like, uh, who are, cares? Yeah. Um, but I I think I did that the first time because I wasn't sure what it was. So I was just looking at my camera, messing around, and I realized you could zoom in. So I was just like zooming in and goofing off. And then I accidentally posted it <laughs> because I didn't know how to use it. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, this is my thing now, I guess. <laughs> and then I also just like the consistency of it. I think it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's sort of like a weird art piece for me. I just like that it's a consistent joke. And yeah. I also don't feel like I'm particularly good at Instagram. So it's like, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. That's super fun. <laughs> Thank you. Now, yeah. Uh, just to go back to talking about improv for a second, do you have a, since we're talking about approach to things now, mm-hmm. um, is there a certain thing that you like to generally bring into your characters or into the theme of a show you're performing? Is there some sort of style or uh, a thought process or point of view that you found sure. that you have? Um, I would say I definitely play big characters most of the time. I play a lot of big characters. I play usually heightened emotions. Um, I usually try to always play it at a 10, kind of crank it up. Um, And then I, you know, I try to focus a little bit on relationship. And I I would say I'm also like a very goofy and silly Mm -hmm. performer. Mm -hmm. But I think primarily I play a lot of characters and I play really heightened emotions. Um, So in scenes, I just try to focus on really having quote-unquote honest reactions to stuff i think improv mm-hmm. is uh generally bad when people don't care about what's going on in the scene uh, and it's the worst when it people is are it's not, bad when it's either and that happens in two different ways it's mm-hmm. either they're trying to be really big and they're really just hammy actors right and so they're not invested at all or uh the people who just are lazy and don't want to try and they're not so they're not doing anything Right. And I think there's, you know, I don't know if it's always laziness. I think there is also folks who are very polite or who are very mild mannered in person. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. I know that I am that way in person. And it took me a lot to sort of overcome that with improv. But Mm -hmm. with improv, I think that you can't be mild mannered about anything. And I think that you really, yeah, you, you know, you just can't like half care about something and you can't like be like, oh, sure, that's fine. Like, Mm -hmm. because it's not, it's boring to watch, but it's also not going to do anything for the scene. I also think in improv, a lot of times you'll have um, heightened scenarios Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, I'm going to jail. And if the other person is like, "Mm, whatever, then it's like, well, you're not really treating that with the level of realism it deserves. Or even if it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, aliens are coming down. It's like, yeah, this is a, a ridiculous and absurd treat like thing to be dealing with but you should still treat it with some emotional weight otherwise nothing will matter in the scene and it just is not going to work i can have some patience for people who are frightened out of their minds to be up there because they're they're doing the same stuff that we're calling out but they're doing it for a different reason so i'm not necessarily criticizing them but all of them are 
not helping. And really, honestly, responses to things are some of the most important, if not the most important thing to happen in a scene. Like it, it can't really go anywhere if 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 you're saying, Oh my gosh, aliens are coming and I'm like, Oh, all right. Yeah, totally. What, what do we do? Then right. it's not it, the weight is already gone out of the scene. It's kind of like I tweeted something out about this on the uh, there it is Twitter account. I retweeted somebody pointing out how Dwayne Johnson would sell the crap out of like Stone Cold Stunners and stuff. Right. And it was like they showed clips of like a like <laughs> they did this little clip of uh, all these different times he responded. He had these huge flops to it and that's those were moment making things and it it really had to do with how you respond to it because there's a build-up that's the crescendo of a yeah wrestling totally thing. like this bad guy the heel is almost about to win and he's oh wait the table's turned and the victor is the good guy and he really put him on his ass like that that sells the crap out of the moment when you respond like it matters or respond yeah really totally big. and you and need that payoff absolutely and and you can't escalate like if you're if if the rock was just going down then it's not escalated right you know it doesn't even show that anything has escalated up to that point yeah there totally isn't a big moment there isn't a big yeah you know, it's like if someone was chopping down a tree and then the next thing is just laying on the ground and you didn't hear it break and fall over, there's n- it doesn't feel like anything happened. Right, totally. And that's the same with an improv scene, you know? Like, there still has to be this this response to what has been put out there. I mean, we all say yes and, but it's not just say yes and then and. It's, it's really right. respond in a way that makes the thing that your scene partner is putting out there a real thing that has weight to it. Yeah, totally. Like you want to be honest and you want to have like a real weighted reaction and you want things to matter in improv. Mm-hmm. Cause oftentimes people treat them like they don't. And it's just like, well, mm-hmm. the scene is boring. It's not going anywhere. Like I want things to matter. Right. Yeah. That's a good thing to, to cultivate. And that's one of the things I'm really trying to work on while I'm here is, is, yeah. uh, feeling present and i think part of something feeling like being present in the moment is for what your scene partner does to matter and to really be a a, something that affects you yeah totally magnet's a great place to learn that sort of thing i think i think there are a lot of great performers you can see and then the instructors really instill that so yeah totally yeah um one thing i i probably should have asked but (laughs) this sort of talk made me think of it when you're doing stuff with giant bomb i mean it's it's a video game and a lot of times those you know a lot of the games have their own built-in story so you don't Mm -hmm. have to think about a narrative yourself when you're interacting with the with your fellow players in the game right but is there any sort of thought process to uh building up things or creating an escalation so there can be a payoff at the end on your side of it or does the video game um, kind of do all that i mean it's you know the video game does a certain amount of it 
but it really depends on what we're working on. Right. Um, so I try not to like force anything just because it, it should be very conversational mm -hmm. and it should be very natural and very much like us being us versus us playing characters, maybe like a slightly heightened version of us. But for the mm -hmm. most part, I think we're all playing ourselves. Um, but so I don't, I don't really try to like set anything up as far as that stuff, mm -hmm. but usually the way our um, content is structured. I mean, sometimes it's really just a conversation. Like we have this feature called blue bombing, mm -hmm. which is where one person, uh, is my, my coworker Alex is playing through um, all of the Mega Man series. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of became something where he's playing Mega Man. We can only really talk about so much of Mega Man. So it just winds up being, we sort of talk about anything else. So I think mm -hmm. the last episode we talked about like, what makes a masterpiece? Like what, like what is a masterpiece really on like a very broad and very specific sense? Like what is a masterpiece? So it's like some content like that is like very conversational. So you're not mm -hmm. necessarily going to have that quote unquote payoff. Right. Um, whereas others, um, I wasn't here for this. My coworker did this series. Um, I think it was called Mario Party Party, where they just played through all of the Mario Party games, mm -hmm. and a lot of people uh, hated them. <laughs> but my one coworker <laughs> loved them. So it was sort of he was kind of the heel to their Mario Party games, and that <laughs> paid off in a different sense because these are competition games, and sometimes he would lose in like these spectacular ways and vice versa. So I think that there can be a payoff in some ways, but we try not to force anything. We let it happen naturally. Um, and if the feature isn't working, then it's usually like there's, it's not because necessarily um, we didn't bring enough to the conversation. It's usually more like, well, maybe these games just aren't so interesting. So it's hard to maintain anything while we're playing them or whatever. There just isn't enough interest from, you know, the public, I guess. You know, I think it's something that can become what, like, an ESPN is. Because mm. to a certain degree, talking about sports all day can, to some people who maybe they like sports or maybe they hate sports, but to some people they might go, really? Was there that much to say? <laughs> and, right. But, you know, for some people they're insanely passionate about it. And yeah, totally. So I feel like you can get into the nuances of these things. Like you can talk about the artistry behind the video game, which is pretty amazing. And then the programming behind the video game, which is also pretty amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, I think with games, people sometimes um, see it as sort of a, a pop art or like very low art. But I mm -hmm. do think there are some games that certainly are maybe not totally high art, but can get up there. And it's, I think it's definitely an art form in the same mm -hmm. way like a book or a film is. And it's good to have these mediums like Giant Bomb and other gaming websites where they treat it with the respect of an art form. And they can really discuss like the nuances, like you were saying, of it as an art form. And a lot of what we do is sort of goofy and kind of silly, but we do take it seriously as well. And you'll see that I think more in the podcasts that mm -hmm. we do. But, you know, we do take these games seriously because a lot of people do. And it's a big part of a lot of people's lives. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really important to treat it with the respect that it deserves, especially considering how big the gaming industry now is nowadays. Yeah. And I think it can only get bigger, especially when we totally. see all the technology that's coming out. We just went to Samsung uh, yesterday and did the VR stuff. You know, oh, cool. Like, the amount of stuff that you're going to be able to do in the future, it's going to be yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. 
Well, this is a good time to start winding down here, I think. Uh, this has been really great. So let's uh, try to create something here. I don't know. Uh, maybe we could come up with an idea for a video game or for a video game program, so to speak, for like a, something like a giant bomb. Or what were, you, what were you thinking? I was thinking maybe compose a tweet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that might be too simplistic. Um, I would say I don't know a ton about making games. Mm -hmm. That feels a little out of my realm of expertise, but I, I would be totally down for coming up with a, a hypothetical sort of content idea, if you'd like. Well, I have seen a couple of videos online of people doing basically comedy bits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on their uh on like an online game like they took gta but they had their characters and then they were just kind of walking around and talking to each other and it was just like watching real housewives or something like right. that it was video games yeah and so that kind of stuff is fun i just don't know enough about what is out there mm -hmm. to come up with an idea of like how could you do like an improvise like what if so there's the comedy bang bang exists. It's like a talk show, mm -hmm. a radio talk show uh, <laughs> with improv. Like the whole thing is this improv. Uh, right. What if there was a like video game that was improvised? Like I'm sure somebody's thought of this already. Uh, um, I mean, I know oh, I don't remember the name of it. Oh man, I wish I did. There was one game that we did a quick look for before I started working here. That was um. Basically, I think it was sort of like you were in this bar and you were like trying to solve a mystery or something, but you could like type in and then it would do like type to voice and then these robot voices would talk to each other. So you're playing with a bunch of other real people uh -huh. and it's sort of like type to speak type stuff. Uh, so that was sort of an aspect that's a little bit improv uh, Okay. Yeah. And, and then also, so one thing that I really love are, it's like just completely goofing off in a video game. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people do. I think that's why GTA got so big. Because right, you could yeah. deviate from the story and just run around town and do nutty stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, so if there is some sort of game where there are missions, or like we're going to go do this heist, which this exists. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and so you do like your online buddies and you put together a heist. You sort of improvise it, uh, but chaos ensues somehow because right. of just people being crazy or whatever <laughs> um i i feel like that could be fun like and then you but you uh present it all like you'd have to edit but you could present it like it's uh, like oceans 11 right or something like that but yet it's just like these complete idiots are just running around <laughs> and screwing up all the time yeah uh, that sounds really fun I don't know what we could call that. Mm, I don't know. I feel like it needs um, a pun or something. Yeah. I mean, Ocean's Eleven uh, is, um, does, is not bringing up Lake any nine. pun ideas. Lakes Lake. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Lakes Nine. Uh, Peninsula's Three. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um. And I also do have some tweets. So let me just okay. see here. <laughs> Great. I don't know. I My drafts, mm -hmm. they're awful. But 
that's the point of drafts. You know, yeah. a lot of my drafts are bad. I'll I'll put some away that I'm like, okay, this is a winner. I just want to wait for prime time or like I've already tweeted a bunch today. I also think people don't take advantage of their friends enough with Twitter. Like I send mm -hmm. my tweets out to my friends all the time and be like, does this make sense? Like, is this mm -hmm. joke funny? And like bouncing ideas off of people for any creative thing. Mm -hmm. But I think for Twitter especially, it can be really helpful or just joke writing especially. I feel oh, so yeah. stupid like putting everything in the context of Twitter because Twitter is meaningless. Exactly. But I think it's it's made me a much better joke writer. So I think in the and context of joke the, writing. Yeah. I mean, if what I mean, I know you have a lot of followers and you get a lot of likes on there, mm -hmm. but chasing likes and followers is the silliest thing. Yeah. And you it's can't, you know, ego driven thing. Yeah, totally. And you can't like cater your Twitter to what you think people will want to hear. You just have to be right. sort of like we were saying before, you have to be honest with yourself and just be like, oh, this is something I think is funny. I have to trust that other people will think it's funny, too. Exactly. Because I think anything else yeah. and people see through of it. And so the part that I think is very useful, even though it may sound silly to put time into what you're putting out on Twitter, is mm -hmm. the learning to craft. It's just learning yeah. craftsmanship. Like it's such a good thing yeah totally so so that's the like benefit of it and um you know then you're putting out something that you think is funny that you crafted right you know, you know. yeah yeah I, I have this joke though um why did nwa hate the police so much what did sting ever do to them roxanne is a great song i don't know what nwa is so i feel like well like the old like like uh remember the straight out of compton mm, yes that, that nwa okay uh, like ice cubes old band and so oh that okay song, i get it right, yeah right, that's right, funny right. yeah that song f the police <laughs> right and so i'm like well like I'm, it's hard why do they to... hate the police so much i think i would get rid of the sting stuff and just be like roxanne is a great song okay because that's roxanne is police right yes yeah so i think that that's enough and i think you know i think sometimes with joke writing we want to kind of let the audience like make sure they get it. But I think most of the time they'll get it. Like if you get it, they'll get it. Like, I think that's funny to be like, why does the NWA hate the police? Roxanne's a good song. Like, I think that's super funny. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much. Let's call it there. There it is. All right. Awesome. Great chat. And uh, a lot of good Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Re really glad. You're one of the first people I saw perform uh, when I moved. Oh, cool. So, oh, wow. Awesome. Um, Justine and I thought you were great. So. Oh, thanks. I remember you did a mixer scene. And for those who don't do improv, a mixer is like... Uh, basically anyone can get up and do stuff mm -hmm. so sometimes you're paired with like weirdos uh but anyway i saw you do a mixer scene that was very funny where um it was just like you just kept naming like different types of pies yeah. i don't remember anything else but i remember that and i was like oh that's funny oh thank you yeah <laughs> super fun chat with abby russell also known as poop russell and uh no <laughs> that's just uh, an inside joke that only she will get. But anyway, folks, uh, very fun chat. Hope you enjoyed that. You can follow Abby on Twitter. It's her name spelled backwards with an A and then Abby. So it's at Y double B triple A double B Y on Twitter. And uh, very fun stuff on there. You can also go to giantbomb.com and find out more info about her. Now, over the weekend, there was uh, 
all the flooding and this ravaging that's going on right now, particularly in Houston, Texas. And if you want to donate to that, you can. You can go to redcross.org or you could text Harvey to 90999 to make a $10 donation. And it's a good cause. They have had trillions of gallons of water uh, in Texas is dropping on there. They're expecting about 5 to 10 trillion gallons more by uh, the middle of this week. So definitely keep them in your thoughts and prayers and definitely donate if you can. And, you know, $10, that's not much. Five bucks, you can do something like that. Every little bit counts. That's just, you know, a, a beer or two or a coffee, you know, just sacrifice a coffee for this week. Just one day of coffee and you're helping people and you're doing something. And listen, if you still need your coffee fix, you can just drink the office coffee. Or this is what you can do. You can go to a hotel that has a complimentary breakfast. You walk in there, you pretend that you are staying there and you get yourself a coffee. Okay, so help people in need by stealing coffee. That's the official word. Oh, there it is. No, not really. But definitely give if you can. Well, folks, we have a fun and interesting episode next week. We hope you are back for that. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.